Hello, welcome to Art on a Podcast, the podcast created by the not-for-profit organisation Art on a Postcard. This series will be having some exclusive conversations with some of the phenomenal contributing artists to our International Women's Day Art on a Postcard auction. All of the artists have generously donated postcard-sized mini masterpieces to help us continue to raise funds for the Hepatitis C Trust. We discuss what inspires them, how they work and the contemporary art landscape. I'm Rosa Tor, researcher and content creator for Art on a Postcard, and today I was lucky enough to visit Royal Academician Vanessa Jackson in her studio, where, sat against her grand piano, we chatted about the relationship between language and art, important lessons she teaches her art students, and her rigorous practice. Vanessa Jackson is a painter and installation wall painter whose use of geometry and its three-dimensional functions deny the supposed flatness of modernist space. Her work explores the contradiction of a fully realised space, at once pertaining to logic and completeness and uncertainty and unease. The ornamental and optical play of colour and form in the artist's work both confirms and confuses the sense of perception. Vanessa was elected to the Royal Academy of Arts in 2015, a graduate of St Martin's School of Art and the Royal College of Art. In 1985 and 1990, she undertook the Yaddo Residency in New York. Jackson has an extensive career teaching fine art. She was the head of painting at Winchester School of Art from 1988 to 1997, MA and Research Tutor at the Royal College of Art from 1992 to 2009, and Senior Tutor at the Royal Academy Schools from 1998 to 2013. She's currently a member of the Fine Art Faculty at the British School at Rome, for which she was previously awarded the Abbey Fellowship in 1995. Vanessa Jackson, thank you so much for having me in your studio today. Thank you for coming. It's a lovely big open space. Good. It's on a nice wet day. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you do when you come into the studio? What's a day like in here? Okay, so a daily practice for me, and I think it's important that artists do have a daily do have a daily practice. Um, and the daily practice may not be a full day, it may just be a bit of a day. But I think there's always I think it's always important to have a kind of continuous relationship. So, you know, it doesn't matter if it's Sunday or Monday. It, you know, I don't do Sunday lunch. Mm, mm. <laughs> so, um, so daily practice. I'm not the earliest. I'm not a not a very early morning person. I'm a bit of a night bird. Mm. So, what I would probably do is get up and do all the things that I need to do. I live upstairs, so I do all the sort of practical things of like uh, emails and pilates and all the sort of things to start the day, um, and clear everything up in that part. So I don't bring my computer downstairs or. I want to be in a very different place when I come to the studio. But I get dressed to come to the studio and do my hair and I'd never come down to the studio without my mascara. Uh, It's like I'm going to work, even though it's in my building and even though I may not actually see anybody all day. Uh It's Uh about going to work. It's a separate kind of identity. It's work. So I come down, down and the daily practice would be to do with whatever's on the go. If I've got work... If I've got some paintings on the go, there's probably something that's... Con- there's always a nagging, continuous nagging that says you have to deal with what you did yesterday or sort something out. Or If 
I'm if I'm between perhaps painting, which isn't very often because I nearly always got something little ones or big ones on the go. Mm. Um, I do have a kind of way in which I limber up with with very simple um, line drawings, which I may do all day just to kind of open up the synapses. And I think of those drawings as being a bit like possibly uh, playing scales on the piano. It, nobody needs to kind of know them or see them, but they're a way of actually getting better at what it is you're thinking about. Um, and I do have a piano in my studio, mm. and I play a uh, very simple Bach. I'm about grade three and a half, kind of mostly self-taught. Mm. Uh, my husband was a jazz man, so I used to have lovely jazz in here too, but so now it's just me. Nobody needs to listen to me, but I quite like uh, making shapes and forms out of sound. They kind right. of help me think about yeah, yeah, yeah. what the shapes and forms might be in the paintings. The paintings are... I tend to work either on a... Uh, quite a large size mm. or a very small size. There's occasionally there are things in between, but there's a yeah. size which is an old-fashioned English seven by six foot, which is sort of the kind of human scale, the way in which, if you think about the uh, Vitruvian Man, which is the old um, Leonardo drawing, but there's that kind of seven foot movement that you can make in your, you know, even if I'm only a five foot three feminist. I actually can, <laughs> I can actually scale that. It's something I can actually reach and get out to, and it feels like one can actually dwell in that space. One can enter it. One can move to mm. and fro mm. and enter into a space and then walk away from that space. And it's a believable for me. It's an absolutely real representational space. Uh, and when I use the word representational, I mean representing not the appearance of the world, but um, what it is to represent relationships configurations, uh, animated thought, uh, and dealing with experience, but experience is always like memory, something which is always animated, fugitive, yeah, yeah, yeah. moving around. I use architectural form in many ways. It's That's the kind of skeletal, the, the skeleton of the form of things. Um, and mm. those that kind of relationship is about... Uh, there's a little bit that is actually organised geometrically to... Uh, in a system, so I can't, you know, I have to divide the canvas by a certain number of, of divisions to get the forms to stand up and do their and act. Yeah. But uh, then I, but then I'm usually reacting from one form to another. I don't have a a pre-plan. I have to react to the work itself. Mm. Is this is this linked to? I I read that you said that um, you view geometry as a form of democracy. Yes. Is this, is this linked? Is this yeah. something to do with that? And that's a phrase I choose because. Some people would use the word geometry is universal. I think one has to be very careful with the word universal. Mm -hmm. So I use the word mm. geometry as a, as a democracy because basically it doesn't belong to me. It belongs to you know, all the cultures yeah. in the world. And cultures will do it, use it differently. Frankly, I just steal. I'm, <laughs> I, I, I almost had a row with my sister, who's a production designer, about the word invention. Right. Uh, and said to her, I don't invent. I'm not really interested in invention. I'm interested in what you can actually do with the stuff that's given to you, and geometry is given to you. It's, mm. you know, we can just say squares and, you know, in, maybe in Euclidean geometry, we can just talk about squares and circles and triangles, etc., etc. But actually, it's much more complex than that. And of course, I go from, I spin between the geometry, which is of, like, let's say, the the Russian constructivists, oh, yeah. and I can spin back to the geometry of the Baroque and Borromini, mm -hmm. 
very happily. And I don't. And I I know that one is very ornate and very different. Uh, and I know in modernism, one had one had to be very careful about the word the ornament. I personally rather like it because it right. has relationships with. Islamic culture, Indian culture, Persian culture, etc. Et you mentioned Rosalind Krauss's Grids essay mm. in the talk that you did. Well, she talks about that world as being both the prison mm. and the freedom. I mean, this is the other side of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if one's given a very, if one's got a very, um, maybe quite strict and quite simple beginning, mm -hmm. then you can only but break the rules. Exactly, yeah. Uh, you the, know. There's a, the beginning of. Um, uh, Samuel Beckett play I think it um, I think it's Endgame where he walks out and then the direction is walk, he walks six paces and picks up a ladder Yeah. and in doing that whilst that seems initially very restrictive how does one walk six yeah. paces? Yes, Beckett never dies does he? <laughs> no <laughs> um, yeah. well I guess if you look at your work you have developed a Un, a super recognisable style it's unmistakably yours in terms of its colour and its composition and mm. I suppose style itself in building a style you're, you're building sort of parameters to work within yeah I worry about I, I wouldn't I would rather this is me being very pedantic because oh, yeah, I've taught yeah. all my life and apologies <laughs> here but I wouldn't use the word I don't want the word style style okay. that makes it in a way it's um, it's like as if one's looking for it Unfortunately, yeah. young artists often are looking for a style, mm -hmm. uh, and they end up by doing horrible things like Modigliani, um, <laughs> in the bad sense. Um, I, I suppose what it, it what it is it's a it, to me it's a evolution right. of of you know constructing constructing form constructing thought. Mm -hmm. It's it's not it's yes I suppose it's true. I mean. Sometimes I'm in group shows and I realise that my paintings are extremely bright and I think, why would anybody want to show next door to me? And it's not that I'm trying to be like noisy and go... And I just want to see what colour can do. I want yes. to push its boundaries. I want to... You know, uh, years ago, I, I had friends who were like Polish... Uh, they were Polish conceptual artists mm. and uh, they just used to talk about problem-solving. And I thought, yes, that's sort of it. One's kind of problem-solving. Mm. Setting up a problem and solving it in some form or another. And of course, you never really solve it, which means the following day, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to get up and try again, <laughs> you know. Um, and that, and that's, the, that's the ongoing sense in which you can feel like you've achieved something. There's a satisfaction. Mm. And then very shortly afterwards, you're going, yes, but. Mm -hmm. Which is very Beckett as well, isn't it? <laughs> yes, but. Yeah. So the, small, the bigger paintings are... A, a world I can actually enter into and I would use sort of mm -hmm. Heideggerian language like I can dwell in them mm -hmm. they are of the world as it were and then the smaller paintings the little ones I often think about them as being uh, looking at the world as if you're looking at it through the wrong end of the telescope mm -hmm. you know like they're mini it's like it's over there it's miniature oh, yeah. and they don't they don't they I do I often do more kind of complex things with the kind of colours into sort of play a I will play a game over six more canvases where I'm using, you know, only I'm only allowed, you know, so many colours and they have to keep keep echoing each other, making it making it more difficult for me. So in that <laughs> so in that series there, yeah. it's surprising, but the um, the uh, what is a very soft Mars violet or Caput Morton's beautiful name. What's uh, that again? It's Sorry. called Mars Violet. Mm -hmm. Its other name is Caput Morton. Caput Dead Dead. <laughs> Which yeah. is quite good, isn't yeah. it? Uh, and I love names of good paint. And uh, 
It, but it's the same colour all the way through. But when you're looking at it, you're going, well, it can't be. I'm at my happiest mm. painting the large ones where I literally feel I can inhabit. I'm in that space. Yeah. It must be so phys It's such a physical process that you're engaging in. It's the whole it's, body. It, it's time. physical. It, it is the body. But I don't, because of my uh, distrust of words like expressing yourself, because mm -hmm. I think that should be left to the cows, um, <laughs> or, um, it, you know, as I said before, invention, all the sort of, all the kind of, Romantic words that hover around painting, like yes. touch, and you know, all that stuff. I'm mm. very interested in the sensate, but I'm interested in the sensate as it works upon the optics, as it works upon the eye. The constructed forms are put on. I chalk them. I draw them up, chalk them up. Sometimes I have to mask and tape a bit, um, but actually, that they are then all put on with this Russian palette knife. Yeah. So it's probably it's it's about getting things to to be as it were, distance from my touch. Constructed, but not built and constructed, but not, not with, with my hand being mm -hmm. particularly evident. And that's partly, uh, uh, you know, I, w I came through in the 70s and Britain was surrounded by a kind of lyrical abstraction. Thir second, third generation, as it were, abstract painters, which I reacted against. I mean, I think it's quite normal, that's what you do. And I found myself looking at the minimalists like, um, Ellsworth Kelly and to a degree although she's not a minimalist but Agnes Martin's work and people who were you know maybe just very different but I was very interested in the kind of hands-off. Mm. Um, so in the 70s you were an activist attending many demonstrations from anti-Vietnam to pro-abortion, yeah. equal pay, yeah. troops out, gay liberation. All of those things. <laughs> How much do, does how much does politics inform your work in terms of the political climate, the current affairs, as opposed to the political theory or the... Yeah. Or the well, I, don't, I would actually would say that it's probably... There is, there is, the politics in the work is very... I, I, it's very difficult to define because I don't think it's, it's not there in an overt way mm. and I wouldn't expect it to be there. Um, I'm a modernist, but I'm a feminist. Mm -hmm. And that makes... I'm not a formalist. And in art terms, that's quite. Int I suppose that's quite important. I'm. I've always used modernism in a way that I've slightly. I've um, adulterated it, and mm. I've used it. I've used a lot of curves, and I've used colour in a kind of way that, you know, I use illusion, and that's mm. not something that modernist space really wanted. It didn't. The, the men, as it were, didn't. Mm -hmm. um, and so I've always played around with what it is, and the illusion and curves and ornamentation are words that are really not part of the modernist trope. So there's a little bit there, which is probably from the sort of the feminist background. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to, and, and I suppose when I talk about, you know, being able to use forms that exist in the world, uh, you know, that we share, that we don't have boundaries, I'm not interested in my own identity, I'm interested in, in the much bigger picture of what the world is. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's very complicated now. We're full of identity politics for understandable reasons. But I think it's also problematic because we're building walls, not breaking down walls. And I mean, I'm, you know, I'm interested in uh, you know, the, the, the much bigger picture. So when I was a, the young feminist that came to London, Unfortunately, I came to London in 71, which was the first Women's Liberation March, but I have to admit, I came in September and it had happened in March, so <laughs> I was not on the first one. Uh, but that was the first one. But I, you know, I obviously was engaged in all the... We were, we were protesting as 
happy young 70s art students almost every Saturday. <laughs> Sometimes I'm not even sure. We were kind of like, what is it today? Oh, it's Thatcher, Thatcher, the milk snatcher. We better go out and <laughs> do that one. You know, but we were, we were there. Um, and I think um, from a feminist perspective, I very quickly was actually, um, sort of in a way, the relationship with painting was very hard because I was painting what was referred to as history, not herstory. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a Lucy Lippard statement. But what the feminists were doing were making works in a, every alternative media, um, which, unfortunately, or fortunately, I, wasn't, I really wanted to be a painter. Yeah. And abstract painting, as a feminist, was not exactly hot then. You know, one should be painting about one's own experience, about childbirth, about one could paint those things or otherwise one was using alternative materials you know there was a lot of a lot of patchwork and sewing and all sorts of other kinds of things and of course then also one's looking at a lot of a period of time when there's a lot of beginnings of film and photography and etc etc all of which I was interested in but it's not what I wanted to do so I did in a way marginalize myself without intending to I just wanted to be a painter Mm. Um, and so that was quite awkward and back then we were quite a kind of uh, you know, I think we only had in the seven in the mid seventies there were only seventeen commercial galleries in London. Mm. We were a very provincial city, so mm. you know it was tight as it were. Anyway, be that as it may, without sounding like a bit of twisted old bag, um, <laughs> I carried on. So feminism for me was equal pay, equal rights. Yes, it it was much more about the politics of yeah. that than it was about the art. Mm-hmm. So I don't, and I would say that to people even now, when quite rightly you have all those doubts about being a hedonistic young artist and mm. what am I doing to save the world? And, and I remember as a second year undergraduate thinking I should be a social worker. Mm. I remember as a second year postgraduate thinking I should have been a social realist. Mm. You know, where can I be useful, as it yes, were? Yeah. Because of course you're full of doubts. And I'm not saying I'm not still full of doubts. But what I would say, I'm now I feel more confident in what I do as an artist is one thing, but it doesn't mean I don't enter into being hopefully useful in the world of, you know, we all marched for hours, didn't we, to try to stop Brexit? And you're thinking, was that a waste of time? No, it actually galvanised people. Yes. And it galvanised people from different backgrounds, etc. I mean, the most, the classic one that everybody will talk about was the anti-Iraq war. And, no, and there were so many people on that march who'd never marched before. Mm. And there were so many people of every culture, every background, and of course it didn't actually work but I don't think it's a bad thing to actually come together to protest and so I still mm. believe in it mm. and um, I probably protested again more recently more often uh, since the 70s I was probably you know I've always you know I was at Greenham Common I've done all the you know yeah. I've yeah. done those things um, wasn't wasn't brave enough to be arrested but um, <laughs> you know and so I think and then and then again I think it's interesting when you become a bit established which I suppose I am now because I'm a Royal Academician mm. um it's a funny thing, funny place to be when you've always been on the outside, then you're on the inside. Yeah. But it's a nice place to be. Yes. Um, <laughs> is that you then also get asked to do many more things like, you know, doing postcards for yes. research for hepatitis C, or I've just been showing you the cube I'm doing for the Parkinson's mm. research. You get involved in more things that which literally you can do in your own studio to be useful. It's when I was in the 70s, we all thought that our big abstract paintings would be in public spaces being useful whilst mm. we got other jobs to pay for it. We didn't think we were going to sell much. We weren't into that world. Um, and unfortunately, of course, 
the whole corporate world took over everything, including mm. probably art for hospitals and da 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 da. So one never got invited. Strangely, later in life, when one becomes, as I said, kind of into the establishment, mm. one is at last invited to do the thing that one wanted to do in the first place, yes. which is to put work into public spaces for, you know, for the quality, hopefully, without being too arrogant, that you might, you know, might be giving some people who are in a pretty dire situation something pleasurable to be in. The buildings are beautiful, the furniture and the designs are wonderful, and it's very nice to be able, able to add something to the walls. Yes, you know? definitely. So, so, it, but it's, uh, so I think politics is, it, it, it would be, you know, I would never say that my work is political. That mm. wouldn't, that mm. would be, mm. that would be crazy. But there's always politics in one's life. And so, in a way, there's a, there's a relationship that can be made or, you know, c could be found. But I think it's more likely that one actually just, you know, is active politically. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know? Yes. So, becoming a Royal Academician in 2015, mm. what sort of, what's the life like now that you're a Royal Academician? Like, what changes for you when you... Well, I, I'm a kind of curious Royal Academician because... I've been teaching in the schools for 15 years, mm. and um, uh, it's. I think I'm probably the first Royal Academician in many moons that had actually almost sort of. Kind of it's almost like I got promotion, which is kind <laughs> of odd. Uh, I mean, I'm very lucky. I'm very glad to to have been voted in. Um, most Royal Academicians are probably better known than I was uh, before they became Royal Academicians, and it, so it's interesting. Very nice. It's it's interesting. It's a idiosyncratic place. I, mm. As I said, I knew it before, um, so there are great things about it and slightly annoying things about it, but on the whole, it's, <laughs> it's well worth being part of. Yes. I mean, we all laugh about the summer show, but it's very popular, people love it. Probably not the best place to see your work in, but it's a big melee madness that mm. people like to, to go to. It means you get to show your work every year, and um, as I don't have a gallery, sometimes that's been very nice. Yeah. And you sell a little bit, so, you know... You can carry on, as it were. Mm -hmm. um, it's. Uh, um, I've also enjoyed the Royal Academy because I've had the opportunity to set up a discussion group. Mm. Um, it's called Discourses, and I run them with a an ex student from the Academy mm. uh, called Tom Worsfold. We we do them every six weeks, and basically it's it's artists, writers, a few architects. Um, but it's so in a way the and I've been given up opportunities. I'm very grateful because. One of the things I liked about working at the Royal Academy mm. was the students um, got really good lectures and I could be involved in organising those. Yeah. I like, you know, I like words as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Obviously. <laughs> um, so you, you were teaching at the RA, you were the senior tutor mm -hmm. at the RA, head of painting at the Winchester School of Art for nine years. Um, and I taught, I was at the Royal College for many years too, in between that. Uh, yeah, um, And I was sort of, you know... Um, working with PhD students as well as yes. MA. Yeah. yeah. Is there something that when you're teaching every year you end up coming back to this same lesson or is there is there some sort of teaching that you know is the Vanessa Jackson style of teaching? Uh, well apart from being a, a, a very picky on language I suppose one of the things that I really really like doing is the group crit is the discussion. Yes. And I always did the group crit where the person whose work was being talked about wasn't allowed to speak. So everybody else had to say what they... And I think the bottom line is, what do you see? Mm. Uh, before you start making it complicated, and when you've got a group of people who might be filmmakers, photographers, installation artists, painters, whatever, 
you know, they will sometimes, if it's not their subject, if it's not their material territory, they kind of go silent. Oh, I don't know what to say about painting, or I don't know what to say about sculpture. And you go, well, what do you see? Mm. And if you start there, the language can grow and things can become, you begin to realise there are so many relationships between film and painting or photography and sculpture. And, you know, it, it all relates. And it relates, you know, language is very important. It's not, it's not in front of the work, it's alongside the work. But if you get the language right, you can begin to open up the, the synapses to understand what the work is really about yeah. and the meaning of the work, which, of course, is, you know, gets more to the point. Mm. Um, but I, I was very pedantic, so if somebody said, oh, I think it's a bit cheesy, I would say, can we try and find some other way of talking <laughs> about it? So, and yes, um, that, might, that might be because you know, I have a great long love of literature, mm. the modernist, of course, all of those, but also philosophy. Yeah. And I'm, I, I'm talking to somebody who studied philosophy, so I'm only a dabbler as an artist, but there would be certain things that I would probably expect every art student to read, like mm. Merleau-Ponty's um, Ironed Mind. Right, you could yeah. say, oh, rather quickly, it sounds like Iron Mind. But, <laughs> you know, it's a short essay, but it's a dense essay. Mm. And it's, a, it's, for me, it was the introduction to phenomenology. Yes. And it, there are certain things that you might just say, you should read this. You know, another one might be Richard Sennett's The Craftsman. Mm-hmm because there's a man who is a town planner, a sociologist, a thinker very deeply, um, and perhaps everybody should realise that town planning might be the most important thing to deal with first. And yet, if you're an architect, you think it's probably something which other people do. I don't want to get involved. But actually, if if town planning was really well done, we wouldn't have American ghettos. We wouldn't have... Yeah. You know, areas where you can't find a, de- a, do- a dentist, a doctor. You know, we would we would actually we'd have schools that were equal to other schools mm-hmm. if we had town planning. Yes, great. So thank you very much for speaking to me this yeah, afternoon, Vanessa. Oh, it's very nice to talk to you, Rosa. <laughs> yes, yeah, and we may, you may well have to do some serious editing. <laughs> thank you for listening to Art on a Podcast. To find out more about anything in today's episode, go to artonapostcard.com and be sure to follow us on all our social channels at Art on a Postcard. Goodbye!